Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, our show partner here with Benji, as always, for Vuelta Andalusia, Twitter Maritima Duva, Volta Algarve, Sedmana Valenciana, a quadruple header. But we'll start with Andalusia first today because it was a TT in Algarve and there was chaos in Andalusia and a lot of tactics to talk about. As I said yesterday, the profile was reversed. They start with a 7K, 9% climb, and then it's medium mountain all after that in this 170K stage. And I've got word, Benji. Apparently, Bora paced the early slopes and then trying right. to set Kemna up, I think, and then GC riders just started attacking. Live coverage starts, 56Ks to go. Your boy, Kobe's behind with Trenton and Palance two minutes back, and at that moment, we knew he was done. Yeah, quite certainly. I was following the initial action already on like uh, live uh, tickers on the internet, and they were saying that people were trying to attack. Initially, a breakaway of Vlavamad, Van der Hoorn, Herregots. So Herregots trying it again after a stage went on stage one. And like you said, Bora tried to take over and tried to do something. And then when they came to the top of the climb, we had a group of 15 that was gone, and it did not include Kovi nor any Bora or UAE riders. So those were certainly <laughs> the teams that missed out on this one. And obviously, UAE is going to wait with their leader in the second group if he drops Kovi because they're not going to keep Trenton in a front group and let Kovi drop off the back and just let him float for himself in a second group. So obviously, they were trying to pace there. But yeah, the teams in the front group also had multiple riders and that included Lopez, which for Astana had teammates. Well, teammates, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Lutsenko, Tejada. And then next to that, also Sosa, Nervais, Cristian Rodriguez, Carlos Rodriguez, Simon Yates, and then a bunch of riders for uh, Bahrain, Haig, Caruso, Pools, and Landa. Landa, yes. And Von Sevenant was also in that in that group. O'Connor, Cepeda, and that is the list. Yes, yes, yes. So certainly Bahrain and Astana are the strongest teams in that front group with other solo riders involved. And to be honest, it kind of stayed like that for a bit. The gap kept opening up, kept opening up. Two minutes, two minutes and a half, three minutes. Kohi was done for. We knew it was gone because, like, let's be honest, Astana is going to keep pacing at the front. Bahrain is going to keep pacing at the front. That was at least what we were expecting. And that happened on the last bigger climb in the stage as well, which is not the last hill in the race because there's like this smaller hill after the last big climb. And on that climb, I expected attacks or moves to try and get away from the group because the gap to Kofi was already quite large and it kind of waited until the top and even after the descent to actually open up in that group, right? And did we see moves from Bahrain or was it Bahrain responding to people? Well, GC-wise, Lopez came into the stage. Kofi was dead behind. They made sure everyone, they just rode together unison status quo Kovi, Lopez then virtual GC leader. And so Astana, we thought, would ride like someone who has a leader's jersey, which is defensively. And so they got teammates. They were going to do that. Bahrain have got Hagen Pauls close. So I'm like, they're going to try on this rolling terrain in the last 30Ks to work over Astana and put Lopez in a difficult position. They started with Caruso, who's not that close on GC at all. In fact, he lost a lot of time after he pulled yesterday and Lopez himself closed him. I'm like, what's the point of Tejada and Lushenko being here if you're closing the... This is the first attack after they've been just pace lining for an hour and a half. So odd there. 
do they need to close Caruso? I, I'd say they no. don't necessarily need to. He's like, on how much time is he on a proper time already after the first few stages? Because he's been working for the other two. So I agree with you. Caruso was on four minutes 20 coming into the Jesus. stage. So that, first of all, bizarre. He closes him and then Lutschenko counters. The rider I thought would have been just keeping it all together for Lopez. So Lutschenko counters. He's joined by Poles. No, by Caruso and O'Connor. Caruso paces and he's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't because they're ahead of GC of Hagen, Poles. He stops. Group dies, I think. Oh, no, then Simon Yates, Bridges, huge effort, for wasted effort completely. Maori starts to chase and it all comes back together. No one wants to pace. Then Lopez is looking around. Tahada comes to the front, starts pacing. Well, a little bit. I was like, okay, they should probably get a tempo going <laughs> here again. And then Lutschenko attacked again, this time marked by Poles. And a reminder, Poles this going into this stage was, let me do some quick maths, eight seconds behind Lopez and 14, no, 24 seconds ahead of Lutschenko. And at that point, Benji, when Poles close to Lutschenko, what do you think Lutschenko was going to do? Well, I was hoping that he would be the clever man and would realize to himself he could play this two ways. He could either work with Poles a tiny bit to make sure the gap is not large or like 20 seconds so that the second group can come close towards the finish line so that he can try and go for the stage while the GC is still there as with Lopez. Or he can just sit up on the wheel of of, uh, pools, which is probably the thing that is the safest bet to do at this point in the race. But no, he decided to go for the third thing, which is I'm going to work with pools. (laughs) Lopez, is that my teammate? What? I didn't know that. I thought he was riding for Movistar still. So... (laughs) Lutsenko was uh, riding with Pools and expanding the gap on the group with Lopez. And at a certain point, the gap was getting towards 30, 35 seconds. And Lopez started responding to the attack because he was like, mate, my GC is <laughs> riding away. <laughs> yeah, it was O'Connor attacked the group because at this point, right, you got the two strongest teams ahead, Astana and Bahrain. All the riders left have no teammates. You know what that means. They're not going to cooperate properly. So O'Connor gets fed up. And then, yeah, Lopez used the excuse of, I'm chasing down O'Connor, but then just kept, they caught him. And Lopez just kept riding <laughs> past. But then he's like, I can't, I can't chase this the whole time. And then obviously Haig looks at him like, I'm good. And so the gap stays at like 25, 27 seconds. Unbelievable scenes. We broke it down already on uh, the website lanternrouge.com.au with all the moves. It's pretty It's pretty funny when you see it set out uh, like that. But in the end, the group was dysfunctional behind. I went back and looked. Lutschenko, I was like, as Benji said, okay, if he's giving him 10% of the, the turns just to keep Poles happy, it's not so bad. It looked, it looked more like 50-50 to me. The turns he was giving <laughs> polls, yes. and we we've seen this from Lutschenko before with Louis Vestra in Bingo Bongo Tour, Enico Tour. Brugge de Pana, I think. Oh, sorry. I think when Brugge de Pana was still a three-day stage race. Yeah. And uh, was it against Kristoff where they were doing yeah, something? Christoph, they were rolling each other, and then Kristoff <laughs> obliterated both of them. 
<laughs> no, so there were some short hills Perfect. and Vestra and Lushenko were way better on the hills than uh, Christoph. And Lushenko just refused to pace or attack and waited for a sprint <laughs> and Christoph just destroyed them. So good. Anyway, similar here today. They get into the finale and Walpole's sneaky fast. If you remember the KOM sprints in the Tour de France last year against Van Aert and Woods, sneaky fast. Like he doesn't look fast, but he is he won Liège, and anyway, but he'd been pulling a fair bit. Luchenko gets into his draft. They cat and mouse a little bit. They probably lost about six or seven seconds in the last kilometer, and pulls opens up super early, and this is what Luchenko comes out of his draft also early and just sits down, can't even really get level with Paul's hip, and Paul's takes the stage and the jersey over Miguel Angel Lopez, I think now 10 seconds ahead of him. There's no bonus seconds here. And that's what Benji was saying. Like, if Luchenko just doesn't pull, like, if he just does one or two or very little, then what's the gap, Benji? Like, five seconds, I think. Exactly. But even if he doesn't go to the front in the last three kilometers... Exactly. It would, st- it would also be five seconds. So if he would have made that decision instead of working with Paul, still in the last three kilometers, which is the insane aspect here, because... Working with pools in the last three kilometers reduces your chance of beating pools at the finish line. Yeah, exactly. And next to that, it's keeping the gap big enough so that he takes the yellow jersey or the leader jersey over your teammate in the group behind. But hey, I guess Lutsenko decided otherwise. He wanted the victory. He wanted pools in the leader jersey. <laughs> and he decided to uh, to not sit on pools that much. But he did sit in the second wheel for a bit in the last uh, 300 meters before the sprint started. But like you said... Pulsa opened up and was the strongest towards the line. And in all honesty, I probably underestimated Pulsa a tiny bit before the sprint. I expected Lutsenko to take it because I was like, okay, if, if he's taking over in the last 3K, he must be really confident about the sprint, but apparently not. <laughs> it's Paul's first win in, I think, nearly three years. He was really, he won in, yeah, Dauphiné Stage 7. Remember Bahrain announced that he was gone that he was basically maybe retiring, and then they gave him an, an extension uh, three days later, not the best comms there, at the end of last year. And he's yeah. won. He's won a big stage, and he's now in the leader's jersey, a masterclass from Bahrain on this stage. Pol's winning the stage ahead of Lushenko. The group behind, 18 seconds behind. The new GC, Paul Covey, is gone. Pol's 10 seconds ahead of Lopez. Christian Rodriguez. We're going to have to give it to, back to him. He's yeah. Rodriguez now. <laughs> he's third. Got, he rode for Rodriguez's. third. Two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in all honesty, it's, it's fun to see riders like this pop up again. I uh, remember him in his Cajarural days when I liked him a lot. And now that he's at Total, it's kind of a different dynamic because he's not the kind of rider that shows up in the Vuelta anymore in that sense where he goes in breakaways while at Cajar he did that. And now we see him in a bit of a GC role in this race. And it's possible because there's no time trial. I think his time trial is pretty shit. And he's doing pretty great in that. He's technically beating Carlos Rodriguez by zero seconds. I don't know what the tiebreaker is, but I think it's positions in the stages combined that they already rode. If so I was talking that, about this, Benji. Me right. The three on the 12 seconds with him, Haig... Uh, Sosa and Rodriguez, I think, lose the tiebreaker because of the three-kilometer rule. 
they got given the same time, but they don't get the positions. So Rodriguez gets ahead of them because of the crash in the Sheffield stage, uh, even though I think Haig <laughs> finished ahead of Rodriguez in the uphill punchy stages. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. It's, it's too much maths for my brain. I'm not going to the rules for third on Andalusia. To be honest, in all honesty, if you can't win by more than zero seconds, then you have to be uh, happy with how the tiebreaker turns out in my eyes. <laughs> I guess. But tomorrow, oh, sorry, there's a funny tweet as well, which we'll get to. The Lopez drama is not is not over. But before we get to that, a word in our show partner, Zwift. We've mainly been riding the flat roads on LRCP Group Rise next week, Tuesday, 6 p.m., London or UK time, 7 p.m. European time. We're riding the New York six-train course in the same world that will be the world used in the UCI esports worlds, uh, but a little bit flatter, I think. So make sure you join us next Tuesday. We have the link down below. Also next weekend is the Rafa Rising event starting three stages over three days covering Zwift's tallest peaks head to zwift.com for your seven day free trial and to sign up to the Rafa Rising event now twitter drama benji our favorite lopez puts up a tweet well i say lopez someone controlling lopez account because i think he was still on the bike at this point puts up a tweet <laughs> saying what a great day for astana and then it gets deleted <laughs> what do you think's what do you think's being said on the bus? Oh, I think uh Lopez can't be happy with how today turns out. It's the second time in five months that he's riding <laughs> for a team that in a stage basically backstabs him when it comes to GC. And I think today it's once again happening. Sure, it's a different situation. This time around, Astana quite literally bottle it when it comes to his lead. It's not over yet. There's still a day to fix it. But it's going to have blah, hindered the morals a tiny bit, I would say, today. Yeah, I don't think he's too happy. And tomorrow's stage is, it provides some opportunities, but it's not the hardest one I've ever seen. It's 147Ks. Yes, there's some medium mountains to start, as well as, again, there's like a 2.6K, 8% climb in the middle. The final climb, 6.4Ks, 5.6%. Uh, Lopez is the strongest uphill here this week, but he's going to need his team to pace. He can't just dance away from Landa Caruso, Poles, Haig on a 5% gradient 15-minute climb. And to, I don't think Tejada can light it up enough. So, And there's no bonus seconds available to finish either. So do you think Poles holds on to this 10-second lead, Benji? I actually am not sure about it. I would argue that the last two kilometers are hard enough to make 10 seconds of a difference if one of them actually doesn't make it. But Pulse has these days where he can actually hold on to stuff. So I'm kind of on the edge. I, I'm i going to say that I would like Pulse to keep it just so that today's Astana tactics have a consequence. I think Pulse keeps it because if Haig and all those guys pace and control that climb... 10 seconds is a lot. They'll be doing it over 20Ks an hour and it's not that steep. Lopez will need to be on and Lutschenko will need to help and light it up too. So, but Would you control it? 
why yeah, don't you I, just attack with Hague? Ah, uh, I don't know. Well, that's. I think what you, I think what they should do is you got to remember Poles helped Hague a lot in the Vuelta at the end of last year. I think what yeah. they do is if Lopez attacks early, early, you mark him with Hague and have Hague sit on and then see if Hague can counter him and take because Hague's two seconds behind him. If if Lopez attacks with 800 meters to go, just train it and he can't gain 10 seconds. And if and if pulls drops, then it's on pulls. But then if Hague does that, then they lose everything. So, yeah, it'll be a good, interesting finish. Anyway, that was Andalusia. A lot of drama there. Today in Algarve, we had the all-important TT. Some would say too important because – it was 32 kilometers long, and there's not really any savage mountaintop finishes here at all. Avonapol, Hater, Foss, McNulty, Martinez, uh, Kung, you can't forget, were the favorites, or the, the big contenders for the stage. The two favorites were Kung and Avonapol on a rolly course as well. But something weird happened in this TT, Benji. The wind, or oh, it, must, it must have been the wind, right? Because Geraint Thomas and Vine and Rice or Race set a normal time, not a normal time, but they were at like 41 minutes. And then Darnul was like two minutes ahead of Geraint Thomas. And then everyone after Ool was just under 40 minutes. So, like, have we had confirmation that the wind literally changed direction? We have not. The alternative. Reasoning is that Thomas's TT was just shit today, which is also possible because he hasn't been outstanding this week. But yeah, something must have happened. It's either the wind changed and as a consequence, it's an advantage for the riders starting later or the times that were set initially weren't as high as we expected or suggested they were when we saw them because Don Holler beating them by 1 minute 47 on Thomas is quite an insane time. I was like, okay, wow, we found the new Gana, okay? But uh, then we quickly realized when Ghana came over the line that over the T1, the, the first time check that, it wasn't really the case when Kung was actually beating him by quite a bit. So yeah, in the end, something happened that changed the dynamic of the time trial, whether it was the initial time trial is not having the outstanding times or the wind change, but it, it resulted in better times in the last portion of this race. And yeah, Kung was the first one to properly beat everybody. I would say, and Foz actually came relatively close on each time check. He was on six seconds at the first one, eight seconds on the second one at the finish line. He kept it relatively close on Kung as well, 13 seconds, but Remco was coming, right? Mate, Remco absolutely flying. And I thought you picked him yesterday. You weren't even, didn't even hesitate for a second. You were like, Remco's taking this. And I was like, oh, maybe Kung, maybe it's just trying to be nice. But yeah, Remco destroyed everybody in this TT. 37.49, the only rider to average over 50. He averaged 51, 58 seconds ahead of Stefan Kung. A minute 06 ahead of Hater, 111 to Foss, McNulty 125, then Gernalek 127, Martinez 130, Darnell 138, Godu 209, and Swift to 12 you've got to bear in mind the strength of this wind whatever happened was so significant that javi javier miguel Miguel asparen now he he looks like a tt guy maybe it was still he put like 
a minute into Geraint Thomas and into Vine and, and race, which is just not possible. So <laughs> crazy stuff. Uh, but yeah, Remco well, He's Benji. actually not that terrible. He got 18 for the last ITT in uh, the Vuelta as well. So uh, is that is that good? Come on, man. It's Asparin. Hype <laughs> it up, man. <laughs> not going to hype it up. I've never heard of him before this stage. He was beaten no. by Haig, though. <laughs> <laughs> Always could tell have been good in Andalusia yeah. as well. But Avonapol takes it. He'll take GC. Tomorrow is like a punchy two-kilometer, 9.5% climb finish. He's, I think, a minute and six ahead of Hater, and Hater's not looking that good uphill at the moment either. Well, not on... His top form, but yes, finishing in Mulhall, 2.6Ks, 9.5%. Remco is just going to defend, one would think. What did you make of his TT though, Benji? Like, was it better than you expected? Or did he look heavier or, yeah, just what did you make of it? Or just business as usual? Uh, the difference was bigger than I expected, but when Hater was interviewed after the race, he was like, oh, it's, I guess it's, uh, I was expecting him to be that much higher than me because I felt really slow on the climb, for example. So perhaps it's just Kung that's somewhat underperforming here as well, combined with the overperformance of Remco Evenepoel here. Sure, Kung was looking great on the climbing aspect, but perhaps his time trial wa- wasn't his best time, time trial here. I felt so bad when we saw Evenepoel pass the second time check and Evenepoel was like, was it 51 seconds ahead of Kung? And then Kung's interview of like a few seconds before that happened shows up on TV that says... Well, I hope my time's good enough to win this time trial. <laughs> Who's going to tell him? <laughs> Felt so bad. Like poor Kung last year when Pagacis beat him in the TT, he just gets followed around by these huge performances. Yeah, when it comes to my own tomorrow, I expect the same thing you say. I think Evenepoel is going to be relatively defensive in the initial aspect of the race, but I do think that if he sees a moment to attack on my climb, that he will be a doing that because it's the last stage of the race he doesn't need to save energy for the stage afterwards yes there's races that come after this race but might as well try and win another stage if possible now when it comes to that finish i don't really see it as the perfect finish for Evenepoel though because like 2.6k 9.5 percent i'd argue he's not the punchiest of the people in this peloton i think godu is the favorite godu igita they're sort of riders I'd be expecting to take it out, but GC's gone for Godou now. But, yeah, maybe Kung, how, Kung will try and hold on probably to a top 10. Yeah. But, yeah, Avonapol's wrapped up GC at Algarve. I'm saying Pitcock wins. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Pitcock or Hater? I, I'd like to see Pitcock go for it. I, I never know which one they're going to go for. Anyway, that was Algarve at Tour de Salt Maritima Duvar. There was a... The Coldez climb, not the same one Quintana destroyed everyone on in 2020, but from a different direction. But it was like 8Ks, the crest from the finish. Quintana duly attacked after Lotto had paced for Ewan, who got dropped. Guillaume Martin tried to bridge to Quintana. Quintana dropped him, and Wellens paced himself well, catching Quintana in the false flat or the downhill run into the finish and then beating him in the sprint looking like he'll take out GC there as well. He's level on time with Quintana. They got a 26-second buffer on Madawaz and tomorrow, yeah, again, not that much in the parkour for Quintana to really do anything. It suits Wellens even more than him properly. 
in Valenciano, though, Benji, we did have proper mountains. Yes, certainly. We had the uh, proper mountain stage today on the Vista Bella del Maestrat, a bit of a, a two-staircase climb where you've got one climb, a small descent, and another climb towards the line, a fairly long climb, and we saw the initial part of that really being controlled by the peloton, really, and it happened as uh, predicted and as everyone could predict. Annemiek van Vleuten hammered it at a certain point, and then she was gone. And the only person <laughs> staying within a solid margin of her in the initial part of the attack was Cecilia Utrepludwig. And then we had, I think, Marta Cavalli with Mavi Garcia in the group behind there. I didn't see whether Ludwig was able to stay with Van Vleuten or not for a tiny bit, or whether she tried to hang on again like in Norway, because the footage cut out so much that this was a maze to follow this race. But in the end, Van Vleuten won with a, with a minute 07 on Ludwig. Cavalli in third, so a, a second rider for FDG, 151 down. And Brown in fourth, 227 down. So three of the J riders in two, three, and four. Mavi Garcia in fifth. And uh, in general, that means that Van Vleuten is first in GC by a mile. And it's likely not going to be changing with the stage that's upcoming because it's got like one hill and a flat finish. So on paper, it could result in people attacking or another sprint to finish of this race. Van Leuten is what I think she'll do in the Tour de France fam when they hit the proper mountains and really no one can do anything about it. But an interesting quadruple header. Tomorrow we have, I think, five races with the UAE Tour, our first World Tour race of the year, starting unbelievably busy schedule in February. It's actually easier during this year on the Tour de France, which is one race to focus on at a time. Hope you enjoyed the recap. See you all on Zwift on the group Bride on Tuesday evening. Ciao.